This morning we're continuing our sermon series entitled, What is a Christian? I just want to give you a roadmap for the rest of the summer. So today is the fourth Sunday in that series. Uh, After today, there'll be three more in the series, What is a Christian? with a timeout for G-City. And uh, then the last Sunday that I'll be here, the last Sunday in August, uh, I'm going to be sharing a message entitled, How to Love Your Pastor. Now, David didn't pay me to do that. Uh, But uh, I I just really believe that sometimes uh, another voice uh, that comes to a church can have an impact on helping you understand your pastor's needs and how you can love him. So that'll be the last uh, last Sunday in August. Well, let's review. Uh, We've been talking about uh, what is a Christian. And we recognize from Scripture that uh, Jesus never called his followers Christians. In fact, the word was only used three times in the New Testament. It was usually used as a kind of a derogatory term from people outside the church to uh, talking about those inside the church. So uh, that's not the word that was used because the word Christian can mean anything you want it to mean. It can mean you're an American. It can mean you believe in God. It can mean you're a Republican. It can mean almost anything you want it to mean. And it really has no meaning in that way. But Jesus used a different word. And the word that he used was disciple. Now, disciple is a much more difficult, not difficult, a much more narrow definition. A disciple is someone who is a follower of someone or something. And in the case that we've been looking at, a disciple is one who follows Jesus, right? And uh, and a disciple uh, says this. Uh, Now, Jesus, when it comes to my relationships, when it comes to my marriage, when it comes to my children, my job, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to whether I should drink or not, when it comes to all those those things, Jesus, what should I do? That's what a disciple would do. You would ask the one that you were following. And and before Jesus could even answer you, and by the way, uh, many of his answers are right here in this book, before Jesus can answer you, your response to his response is what? Yes. I'm a follower of Jesus. Whatever you say, I'm in. Yes, that's what I'm going to do. It would be difficult. I'm not sure I can do it. But yes is the answer. That's what a disciple is. Now, before Jesus left uh, the earth, uh, he left his followers, his disciples, uh, a brand or a symbol, something they could hold on to. In fact, today, that brand or symbol is more famous, more popular worldwide than the Golden Arches or Coca-Cola, which are two of the most famous ones. And that brand that he left for all to see is this. It's a cross. Now, interestingly, uh, a cross can be seen in this place there on the outside of the church. You can find this cross around many of your necks or on your wrist. Uh, you can find it in your homes. You can find it in sco- some schools. You can find it in some uh, establishments of government. Uh, you can find it in all ch- almost all Christian churches anyway. And uh, that is a very, very important symbol. Now, let me tell you about uh, something that uh, Sherry and I experienced uh, a couple of years ago. Um, when I retired from Hope Covenant Church after 15 years of being the pastor there, uh, the church gave us a gift. And the gift was a trip to Europe. And it was amazing. And it took us about a year to plan it, but then we went in the fall of 2016 to Europe. And the favorite thing that we did in Europe, among all the things that we did, which were great, was being 
in Rome. And we were there twice, once before the cruise and then a couple of days after the cruise. And it was phenomenal. It was great. And our favorite place in Rome was the Colosseum. I'm kind of a history buff and I love the history of that. Colosseum, I think, was built around 70-something or 80 AD. So it was uh, about a generation after Jesus. And uh, so, But it was amazing. And whether you go in the Emperor's Gate or the Slave's Gate there, uh, everywhere you look around the Colosseum, you will see crosses. Crosses everywhere. Which is kind of interesting. Because <laughs> when the Colosseum was built, Christians were completely and totally persecuted. In fact, many Christians were killed in the Colosseum. You go there today and you see crosses everywhere. Now, to me, that's a staggering thought. Now, if you're not a Bible person, at least you're a history person, and you can kind of relate to that. So go back to about 64 AD. Uh, that's when Nero was emperor. And uh, Nero, as you recall, uh, blamed uh, the burning of Rome on the Christians, even though most historians believe he did it. And uh, so this new cult called Christianity by those outside, uh, they announced that they were to blame. And so Nero would round up some henchmen and some road warriors and gather up Christians wherever they could be found and took them to be persecuted, tortured, killed, uh, uh, feeding them to uh, lions and dogs and making sport of them. And this tremendous persecution happened then. And that was just the first time. I mean, this happened until uh, actually a lot for the next 150 years, but then for the first 300 years, there was a lot of persecution of the Christians. But it all started really badly under Nero. So that's the context, uh, this persecution that's happening everywhere. Now use your imagination. Imagine that you're back in uh, the late, latter part of the first century, let's say 75, 88, maybe after the Colosseum was built. And you're a Christian family and you're doing everything to survive because there's boycotts on you and your kids uh, financially, uh, occupationally, um, religiously, educationally. Uh, You are persona non grata. You cannot be a Christian and just be a normal Roman citizen. And so you go in hiding. So just imagine three families, three Christian families with their children, going out and they find a farm outside of Rome and on that farm there's a barn and the people there let them hide in that barn. So you sit down on a straw mat with these three frightened families and and you've kind of traveled back from today, back to then and you're going to tell them some things that they're not quite going to believe and this is what you would tell them. Did you know that one day the city of Rome will be adorned everywhere with crosses. And these crosses will be on the roadside, on buildings, on churches. Almost everywhere you look, you will see these crosses. And these crosses will not represent Rome. And these crosses will not represent crucifixion. These crosses will represent one single, solitary crucifixion, a Jewish teacher, a Jewish man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. The very Jesus that you, speaking to those families, that you worship and adore today. The very Jesus that you having to hide from the Roman government to survive and to love him. What do you think of that? Now can you imagine 
I mean, can you imagine what they would have felt and what they would have thought? 30 years ago, when Jesus was on the earth, uh, no one thought that this movement would go anywhere. And yet, in the next 300 years, the world is literally transformed. Rome, yes, but almost all of Asia Minor and much of Europe, in 300 years, that simple message, that simple movement of people loving God and loving each other and loving the world, that simple message where there was no leverage whatsoever, that message transformed the world. In Acts chapter 4 it says, Peter and the others literally transformed the world. Now, you would think that the world was transformed maybe by a sword, maybe by power over, but as we talked about last week, Jesus came with a new kind of power, and that was called power under. That was called the power to serve. And yet the world still, and Rome certainly, in A.D. 75 or 80, Rome certainly was all about power over. And you say to these families, can you imagine the changes that could happen? That millions upon millions every year of pilgrims and visitors will come to Rome, and they will see these crosses everywhere, in the Colosseum, everywhere. No one's worshiping Jupiter anymore. That was the big god when Rome was in charge. No one's worshiping Jupiter anymore. And you will notice that there is a cathedral, cathedrals all over the place, and there was a cathedral built in memory of Peter, the fisherman, who was the leader of the way, and who you still follow today. Can you imagine what would run through their minds? They would look at you like you were nuts. Because they believed, and had no reason not to, that Rome was forever. Jupiter was forever. Certainly we're followers of Jesus. We're people of the way. We're disciples, but there's just a few of us. And we're not really making that much difference. And we're even in hiding. And, and yet somehow, some way, 300 years later, which historically speaking is not very long, there are crosses everywhere. How on earth did that happen? Not because Christ followers became Christians, but because they took Jesus' teaching seriously, his words seriously, his heart seriously, and they became disciples. And those disciples changed the world. They would say, not, I'm drawing a sword and you're going to be a believer. That's what Constantine did in 340, right? but instead how they lived, how they loved, and how they died was the message that they gave to the world that Jesus is the way and Jesus can transform a life. Today we're going to look at the uh, speech that got this movement going, that gave legs to this early movement. Jesus was still on the earth. There was, by this point, several hundred followers besides the disciples, and we know from John 6, 66, that later some of those disciples fell away and said, no, we can't do this anymore because this Jesus guy is really radical. But we're going to look at the speech that was revolutionary, that was world-changing, a shut-down-the-Roman-Empire speech. That's what this was. Listen to the words that we find in Matthew chapter 5. Now when he, Jesus, saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thousands of people are listening to this speech. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's the speech to change the world? Really? I mean, I could just see one of the disciples raising their hand and say, uh, excuse me, Jesus, I have a question. Um, meek? <laughs> Where's that gotten us? <laughs> and it's not another disciple. Hey, peacemakers? I can see pulling a sword like Peter did. I can see doing everything we can to fight the Roman government. I can see everything we can possibly do to take back Israel as our... I can see all of that, but uh, peacemakers? Where's that gotten us? Maybe in a minute, Jesus is going to do a miracle because this speech is going nowhere, right? And then you'd say, okay, Jesus, let me review what I'm hearing. Let's see if this is what I'm hearing. So we're poor and sad and meek and merciful. We're hungry and peaceful and persecuted and insulted. Is that who we are? Really? (laughs) Is that your speech that's going to change the world? Jesus said, yeah, that's right. Say, well, you're kidding. What about some saber rattling? What about paint your face blue like William Wallace? Draw your sword like Peter? Why don't we just take over the Roman government? That's what Judas wanted to do. Why don't we do that? Jesus said, no, this is the way. And then somehow, some way, miraculously and without even being able to conceive it, in the next 300 years, with those marching orders, the world was completely transformed. The place where Christians were killed is now a place where there are crosses everywhere. How did that happen? Jesus says, okay, let me put this to you in practical terms. And then he gives two word pictures. The first is this. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now everybody knew what a preservative was. Everybody knew what salt was used for as a substance to prevent food from decomposition, from rotting, from stinking. And what Jesus was saying to those Christ followers, those disciples, even those three little families huddled in that barn, you are the preservative of the entire world. This Jesus that's in your life, this marching orders of loving each other in such a way that the world takes notice, 
This kind of love delivered the only thing that was delivered because they had no other leverage. This love that was delivered, this is going to change the world? Jesus said, yes. And he didn't say, please start becoming salt. He said, you are salt. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, if you've said yes, you are salt. You don't have to try and be salt. You're just salt. And salt preserves the world. And if you don't preserve the world, Jesus would say, then culture will rot. The world will stink. It did then. It does now. When there's not enough disciples in the world to literally preserve the society, culture rots and the world stinks. And he was speaking into a world where might makes right. He's speaking to the world where you draw a sword, where you have power over, where women had no position, where children had less position, where people of color were meaningless, where there were no orphanages, there was no hospitals to speak of. All of these things were taking place in what was considered the greatest country in the world, the Holy Roman Empire. Jesus said, you have no standing in the world, but you are the last stand. He said that to them. He says that to us today. You have no standing in the world, but you are the last stand. No political or financial leverage, but you are the salt of the earth. And salt preserves the world. Did you know that in the first 300 years, literally hundreds of orphanages were introduced to the world? and uh, hospitals of different types, and places where people that had no other place to be would go to live and to dwell. All of these things in the first 300 years were created by those people called disciples. Jesus said, when you're salt, you make a difference in the world. When you're salt, you bring people to the understanding that Jesus is the way. They will know God by how we love each other. We are salt and we are to preserve the earth. And he uses another important word picture. He said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That last phrase, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Salt always points the way, excuse me, light always points the way to Jesus. What he's saying here, what Jesus is saying is that your good deeds are a dot connector to God. The extraordinary things that Christ followers do out of love for God and love for each other are dot connectors that point to Jesus. That's how we are to be the light of the world because light always shows the way. Salt always preserves. Jesus said, a city placed on a hill cannot be hidden. It's like a lighthouse. It's like, that's who you are. Oh, but I I, I don't want to do that, Pastor Dwayne. I... I just want to be a Christian. I mean, I said the prayer when I was a kid. You know, I punched my ticket. I go to church once in a while. You know, I just want to be left alone. I, I just want to be a Christian. Jesus said, that's not an option. That's not an option. 
He said, you're called to be a disciple. And when you're a disciple, you are light and you are salt. You don't have to try and be light and salt. You are light and you are salt. And he says in this verse that we are strategically placed here now. I believe that for every one of you. Most of you live in Oro Valley or the surrounding communities. Most of you, I believe that, well, I got laid off my job. I was in Orlando, but I got transferred. You know what? I believe that God has strategically placed you here to be light and salt. Listen to what um, Paul wrote, excuse me, Luke wrote in Acts 17, 26 and 27. From one man he made every nation of men, talking of Jesus, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined, listen, he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they would live. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him, salt and light, and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. You are strategically placed here right now in this moment to be salt and light, to make a difference for the kingdom. Yeah, I just want to be a Christian. I'm sorry. That's an option you have, but that was not an option for Jesus. I want you to be a disciple, and I want you to make a difference. But, 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 but I don't know how to do that, Pastor Dwayne. I don't know how to do that. Well, you know what? Sometimes it's just a matter of just showing up. You know, just showing up. Well, I don't know what to say, or I don't know what to do. Just show up. Uh, at our staff meeting last week, uh, Brian, your youth pastor, wonderful young man, was telling a story, and he, he gave me permission to use this in the message he was telling a story how that a few years ago he was completely devastated. He'd gone through a divorce. He had all kinds of problems. His life was just zero and he felt so alone. He was disconnected from the church. He, he left this church for a while. He said, I'm done with God. I don't know what to do. And there was a man in this church that just showed up. You in there, Brian? Yeah, I'm in here. Well, I'm out here. <laughs> can I come in? Yeah, I guess you can come in. He just showed up. Did he know what to say? No. Did he know what to do? Yes. He just showed up. Sometimes as light and salt people in this world, that's the best we have. You don't always have to have a plan. Do you think they had a plan? Except for Paul, he always had a plan, right? But do you think those early disciples, those disciples that were in that, that, that farmhouse barn, you know, in A.D. 75, do you think they had a plan? Their plan was to survive. But in the midst of surviving, they were salt and they were light. And it was people like that that changed and transformed the world in those first 300 years. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your good deeds, those extraordinary good deeds and sometimes very ordinary good deeds, let those be a dot connector between good deeds and God. You are called to be a dot connector where we outshine everything else. But I, Pastor, I just want to be a Christian. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This isn't going to be the church for you if you just want to be a Christian. You might find some other church. This is not going to be it. Pastor David is deeply committed to making disciples in this place. Jesus said, my disciples, my salt preservers and my light pointers to Jesus. And some of you are great at this. Now, one of the things I'm most proud of of this church is what's going to happen on July 29th, G-City. We're going to go in the city of, of, of Oro Valley in Tucson and shine our lights and, and be salt. 
well, Pastor Dwayne, I, I, was, I wasn't going to come that Sunday because I think we should have regular services. Are you kidding me? How, what do you think Jesus would do? I doubt that Jesus would be looking for some other service in some other church. That is worship. That is coming here. And we're going to have a short worship service, but we're going to prepare you and bless you to go and serve your community. We have all kinds of things for you to do. You get to pick what you want to do. And that is shining a light for Jesus. That is being a preservative for this world. And sometimes this rotting and stinking world, we can do our part and make a difference. It happened for the first 300 years. It can happen again. In the first century, and the, the, uh, the Romans had almost no regard for children. They were commodities to be used. And uh, sometimes if a child had some kind of a disability or some kind of mental problem or some problem, they would just take them down to the river and they'd put them right on the riverside and assume that sometime uh, an animal or something would just kind of take care of the problem. The Christ followers, the disciples, would sneak down there at great risk to themselves because they were going to be persecuted, and they would snatch those children up, and they would raise them as their own. The women who had no father or no husband had no place, so many of them became prostitutes. These Christ followers, these disciples, would find them, and they would embrace them, take them into their community at great risk to themselves. In 300 years, the world was turned upside down. Not because of good preaching or good teaching, but because of powerful salt and light living. Uh, There's one teen in our church that, um, after the sermon series, has changed her Facebook status from Christian to disciple. How many of you adults have done that? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Well, of course you didn't. You're... Not a teenager, right? Here's what Jesus would say to us today. Don't settle for being a Christian. You are already salt. You're already light. And I I need you to show up. Yeah, but I'm not educated. I'm not trained. I'm, I'm scared. Just show up. You're a follower of Jesus. Because salt preserves. And light shines. Be that person. Connect the dots between the extraordinary and sometimes ordinary deeds of Christ's followers and God. That's your call this morning. Just show up. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, as we consider your words in the Sermon on the Mount, we are both blessed and convicted at what you've said. Blessed and convicted because um, it was such a an amazing time in the world that everything that seemed powerful and mighty was going to fall from the simple act of loving God and loving other people. This amazing group of Christ followers not educated, not really empowered in much of any way except they were disciples of Jesus Christ. And they became salt. And they became light. And the world was changed. Father, may that be the very thing that happens here at Grace Community Church. May we be salt in such a way, light in such a way that the world peers over the edge of Grace Community Church and says, I want that. I don't want what all the Christians are hollering about and fighting about. I want that. 
I, I see the way those men are treating their wives. I see the way those teenagers are behaving with other teenagers. I see the way that guy honors his boss. I, I see the way they live, the way they love, and sometimes the way they die. And I want that. So, Father, this morning, during our time of meditation, as Debbie leads us, I pray that you would help us to understand what it means for me to be salt, for me to be light, for me to be a dot connector between good works and our Heavenly Father. Father, help us to do that and just show up. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.